Okay, I don't want to freak anybody out, but it literally looks like something standing behind a tree with a shoulder and a head. Yeah. Okay, well, get, let, some, yeah. let someone else see. It's dark. Real dark. Can't see your hand in front of your face dark. And Cindy Cadell, who we'll meet in a minute, has spotted something strange through her night vision binoculars. Producer Kelsey Ray and I are out in a remote part of Oregon's Mount Hood National Forest on our very first Bigfoot expedition. You know, there's this assumption that they can see so well in the dark. It took some work to get here. Planning, packing, traveling, praying it won't rain. And now, after a lot of prep, we're walking. Well, more like stumbling through the dark, looking for Bigfoot. Hundreds, if not thousands of people go on expeditions like these. And some people go multiple times a year, every year. The thrill of the chase must at least be part of the reason they do it. Otherwise, why would you keep going? It's pretty fun to be out here in the woods on an adventure. But given how loud we are, (laughs) finding Bigfoot would be a seriously lucky break, especially on my first time out. But right now, it sounds like maybe we've got something interesting. Um, okay, you guys. Um, you got something? Yeah, I think there's some something there. You'll see it. It's white. Do you see it? I'm Laura Krantz, and this is Wild Things. A series about Sasquatch science and society, the search for Bigfoot, and why we want so badly for it to be real. While we're not totally in the middle of nowhere, we're a lot further out than my cousin Grover Krantz would have been. You might remember his wife, Diane Horton. Back in the first episode, she said that Grover wasn't much for spending tons of time in the woods. He didn't like camping. He didn't like a tent. He didn't go too far into the woods. He was a homebody. But not us. Producer Kelsey and I are intrepid explorers. We've left behind the comforts of home, and we are out here, in the woods, with our tents. We're eating beef jerky and dehydrated meals and miniature candy bars. But while we have camped before and are no strangers to sleeping in the woods, we're total novices when it comes to bigfooting. We trip over rocks and roots in the dark. We don't have high-tech gear. We are not stealthy. So who are the patient souls that willingly brought us out here? Flashback to last week. Hello. Hi, Cindy. Hi. Hi. Thank you so much. So excited about this trip. I'm really looking forward to it. I know, Cindy Cadell is a woman of many talents. The short brunette is a professional photographer and an archaeologist with the U.S. Bureau of Land Management. When we talked, she'd just come back from trying to protect Native people's burial sites from wildfires. But when she's not saving America's heritage, she's out looking for America's legend, Bigfoot. And this time, she's taking us with her. Yeah, no, that sounds great. Since I'm not entirely sure how to prep for a Bigfoot expedition, or even what we'll be doing... I call Cindy to get some tips. Just make sure you have a tent. Sleeping pad is awesome with a um, sleeping bag. You definitely want a pillow. And then um, food, water. I'll probably bring like a little camp stove, just a little tiny one. So once we're there, are we going to be like hiking out? What sorts of things does an expedition like this entail? 
We probably will go hiking if you want the whole experience in the dark. Um, I would bring a head, well, definitely bring a headlamp. Um, and uh, we'll go on hiking on some of the trails close by. <laughs> it might be kind of scary okay. <laughs> at first. We'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah. I mean, is there anything so. else we should think about bringing? I, I've also heard people say, well, if you put Cindy's phone line gets bad here, but she's saying that people will often bring food for Bigfoot. But that's not something she normally does. I'd agree. The food thing seems like a bad idea. So many Squatchers have said they put out snacks, like fruit pies, for instance. But I'll wager that Bigfoot's not the only one eating them. My money's on raccoons. Okay, so camping stuff, headlamps, anything else? Maybe some glow sticks or something. I know some people will hang out glow sticks and supposedly they've came, you know, they've came and looked at them. Ah, so Bigfoot's into the rave scene. All right then, glow sticks, check. And with that, we say our goodbyes. We will plan right. on seeing you in a week. That sounds good. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be fun. Me too. Thanks so much. All right, I'll talk to you talk soon. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. A week later, Kelsey and I are out in the Mount Hood National Forest, driving up an increasingly winding and rutted dirt road. What kind of car goes anywhere? A rental. Sorry, Thrifty. Definitely don't say who we're renting from. <laughs> we're not renting from Thrifty. We're following Cindy Cadell, her daughter, and a couple of her friends up to the trailhead. We abandon our cars, shoulder our packs, and hike to a campsite by a clear, cold mountain lake. Mossy pines tower overhead, and even though the sun is shining, it's still dark and cool in the shade. I'm not going to give you any more location information than that to protect our Bigfoot scouting grounds. There are six of us. Me and Kelsey, our fearless leader, Cindy, her 30-year-old daughter, Megan Whitehead. My mom believes in Bigfoot, kind of. Who grew up on Bigfoot. And so when I came around, they talked about Bigfoot as if Bigfoot was legit. And so I assumed growing up that Bigfoot was real. So I just didn't ever really think about the possibility that Bigfoot did not exist. Then there's Gunnar Monson, an Oregon native and the founder of the Sasquatch Coffee Company. I always had kind of a curious nature about unknown stuff, and Bigfoot obviously was a good match. I grew up in Portland, Oregon, so when I first heard about it, I thought Bigfoot was pretty much our monster. And rounding out the group is Shane Corson. This expedition is how Shane and I meet, and later he'll take me and Kelsey out to see those big ground nests. Like the others in our expeditionary unit, Shane's taken Bigfoot seriously his whole life. Yeah, it's been a long road. Um, I've been interested in the subject in investigating reports, encounters, uh, reading everything I get my hands on. These are longtime devotees to the world of Sasquatch. So while this may be my and Kelsey's first rodeo, it's definitely not theirs. Cindy Cadell occasionally leads expeditions for one Bigfoot research group called the Bigfoot Field Researchers Organization. My end is just taking them out into the woods. Usually the expeditions have a lot of people on them, you know, 25 to 40. We'll do day hikes. We have classes often, you know, wildlife classes. We have recordings of animals, like if you hear this, this is an owl, or if you hear this, it's whatever. Just because... When people aren't in the woods, they might hear stuff and go, oh, it's Sasquatch. But most of the time, it probably isn't. Probably almost all the time, it's not. She also analyzes photos for another Bigfoot research group, the Olympic Project. 
They're the group that Shane is a member of and the one that controls access to those nests. Cindy works with them to make sure no one is faking their photographic Sasquatch evidence. So if they get photos in, I like to look over them and, and see if I can find, you know, flaws with them or blob squatches. <laughs> a blob squatch, in case you've forgotten, is something that someone says is a Sasquatch, but the photo is so blurry and unidentifiable that it could be anything. Rock, stump, shadow. Some are innocent mistakes, and some are deliberate fakes. I did catch a hoax one time, and I found a mask that was exactly what was in the picture. And it was a really good hoax. It's clear Cindy loves her Bigfoot work, and she takes as many opportunities as she can to get out into the woods. But where the expeditions she leads are often aimed at forest newbies, the Bigfoot finding trips with friends like Shane Corson are way more high-tech. This particular outing is not that elaborate. I think they're taking it easy on me and Kelsey. But it's nothing to sneeze at either. Let's start with the gear. I do have, I have a couple of game cameras here. I have about three game cameras I like to set out. Shane Corson holds up three camouflaged cameras. They shoot photos of anything that moves in their line of sight. Bears, deer, squirrels, leaves, big feet. Hopefully not one of us when we answer nature's call. Um, I have wildlife DNA kits. And it has just about everything you could use in, in the wilds, in the forest, to collect what you need collected. You know, I also carry a hydro cow with me to track cast. Track cast, another common Bigfoot term. You take powdered plaster, like hydrocal, mix it with water, and pour it into a footprint you find. Wait for that to harden, and then voila, you have a cast. If done right, it will preserve the evidence and all the detail of that footprint. And then I brought with me as well, you know, my usual stuff like a GoPro. I have my, my Nikon camera. I brought uh, a couple of FLIRS units here. It's a therm. It's uh, being able to see things at night. You know, um, if I was to walk up here and take a leak at night, you'd be able to see, see the heat. Cindy shows us a video from one of these thermal doodads, and we watch a deer pooping in the woods in the pitch black. Not only is the deer lit up, but each individual piece of poop is too. It's, um enlightening. And then my night vision, which basically turns your night into day, which is a really neat piece of equipment. I'm getting the sense that this is not a cheap hobby. You add everything up here, it's close to about $30,000 $30, roughly, yeah. 30 large. It's not all his cash. He and his fellow squatchers pool their gear and split the costs. But that's still a fair chunk of change to come out of your own pocket. Unclear if Bigfoot expenses are a tax write-off. And Shane's not doing this as a side gig. You have to work and live, but... Uh... I wanted to take this to the next level. And uh, yeah, I mean, I do it about as full-time as one can, I would imagine. I do need to kind of organize, I do need to get these cameras up. And I won't put them in a spot where anybody's going to be, uh, you know, using the facilities. <laughs> yeah, not gonna happen now. Shane hustles off to get his game cameras in place before the sun sets, in the hopes that he'll get a picture of a Bigfoot, or at least of something interesting. The rest of us hunt for dry kindling and chop wood for a fire. It's dusk when Shane returns, and as the temperature drops, we shuffle closer to the fire. Foil-wrapped baked potatoes steam in the coals. We crack open some beers, and Gunnar Monson brings the talk back around to Bigfoot. Shane was up by where this trail and heard, what did you hear? Knock. Yeah. And did you hear vocalizations? It sounded like a yell or something like that. So it was like, hmm. Now, weird noises are par for the course. 
Everyone seems to have some story about a strange whistle, scream, or howl. And soliciting these sounds is a regular part of Bigfoot expeditions, yelling or banging on trees to see if you get a response. It's called a wood knock or a tree knock. So what we do normally when someone does a wood knock or a call is that we stand really quiet for at least a minute. Don't move. Don't move your arms because your, your coats make noise and just listen. So give us a warning, Shane, when you do that. Shane grabs a six-inch thick piece of wood. All right, I'll, I'll go ahead and do one on this. This is probably going to work, so, so I'm going to take a little swing. Don't hit you. And wax it against a nearby tree. Hard. I heard something up behind you guys across the lake. I couldn't, yeah. Yeah, there was some up here, too. Um, guys, I didn't hear anything doesn't matter because no one thinks it's Bigfoot, although some of us are secretly hoping it is. Gunner points out that people who think every sound is a Bigfoot are not helping the cause. If you're trying to do it in a scientific way, you know, it's like, well, what else could it be? And, and even unless you see Bigfoot do it, you, you have to basically approach it from Bigfoot last. Meaning all other possibilities have to be eliminated first. Our four expedition companions are deliberate and even keeled about Bigfooting, even as they spend lots of time and money on the search. Shane especially wants to do things right, to leave no room for doubt, because he is 100% certain that Bigfoot is real. For me personally, see, I know Sasquatch exists. That's not a question for me. How does he know? Well, dear listener, because right here, at this very spot, he and his buddies Mitch and Ian had a terrifying encounter. It's time for a spooky campfire story. We decided to go kind of remote backpacking, and we fished this lake for a little bit. We made supper. We sat around a campfire right here, and um, we called a night. And about 1.32 in the morning, I started hearing this sound like rocks being clanked together, and it was getting closer. And then it stopped, and we heard something kind of walking, and then whatever it was took off down the trail. Obviously bears. Bears with rock tambourines. But Shane and his buddy Mitch weren't worried, and their pal Ian, who was the most nervous about being in the woods, didn't even hear it. Next day, they go back to fishing and hiking. And the same setup. You know, we, we got around here, built a big fire, had our supper, sat around talking for a while, and then went to bed. And that 1.32 o'clock in the morning again, hear this, hear that same, that sound, we hear that sound again. And it's getting louder. And then it stopped. Stopped fairly close. I don't like close. But go on. Then you start hearing something crunching back and forth. Just, it seemed like it was storming like an elephant. Just... And it freaked us out a little bit. And we're like, it's back, it's back. What is this? Uh, you know, and we're whispering. And, and then it just stopped. And then from up here, on this hill... He points to the hill above our campsite. Was five power knocks. Whack! 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 And then it went quiet after those knocks. I was scared. I was scared. Because I was like, whoa. This, something came back again. What's it want two nights in a row? And then you hear something coming through the trees, hitting branches, and right behind me, you hear this thud. It sounded like a rock hitting the ground right after the knocks. 
Uh, this thing's walking back and forth or breaking branches. I couldn't tell. I could just hear large branches being broke. And I decided to unzip my tent. I'm peering around. I saw a movement. And I could see that tree up on the hill. And I could see like what looked like a head and a shoulder and definitely an arm and hand. And it was swaying back and forth. I mean, that thing was massive. I don't know if it heard my zipper. I don't know if it saw me. But it peeled off and that was it. It was gone. Right at dawn, Shane and his buddies broke camp, packed up, and hightailed it out. Personally, I'm not sure I would have even waited that long. So we're not going to sleep for yeah. six hours now. <laughs> oh, that's okay. You guys are just the furthest side. I wish you'd told us that before we set up our tents. Well, when I saw that thing, it was over here. So it was a little bit to the right. It wasn't right on your tent. Great. That's good. That's great. But we're not going to sleep yet. Nope. We're leaving the warmth and safety of the campfire to go on the night hike that Cindy warned me about on the phone earlier. All right, here we go. So this is the tree right here. I'll just show you guys. That was the branch up there, and its head was below it, like down here. And its arm was on the front of here. It's a big tree. It's a big tree. Well, try wrapping your arm around that. It was massive. And then it went down this hill. Bigfoot, I'm told, is often nocturnal, moving around under the cover of darkness. So we're going to try to spot one using some of the gear that Shane brought along. But like I said earlier, we're traipsing around in the dark, hiking up a rocky and wooded hillside, and there's nothing graceful about it. (gasps) Our breath spirals away in the red light of our headlamps. After 10 minutes of steady uphill, Shane brings us to a halt. He's going to call for Bigfoot. You guys mind if I do a grunt? Go for it. We strain our ears, but all we get is a muted echo. Not that I'm complaining. Now that we're away from the fire, the idea of running into Bigfoot, or a bear for that matter, is a little more freaky. I mean, I still want to see something, but preferably at a safe distance. It, gets, it goes uphill a little bit after this. I don't think we'll go any further. At this turnaround point, we shut off our headlamps and stand quietly for a minute in the dark. It's so black that it feels like it's pressing down on my eyes, and it's real quiet. A little spooky, even. I'm getting chills, whether it's from the cool air or the eeriness. I don't know. And then Cindy spots something through her thermal vision scope. Um, okay, you guys. Um, you got something? Yeah, I think there's some something there. Okay. Okay, I don't want to freak anybody out, but it literally looks like something standing behind a tree with a shoulder and a head. Yeah. Okay, well, get, let, some, yeah. let someone Keep else right see it. You'll see it. It's white. Yeah. Do you see it? Everyone scrambles for night vision goggles and therms. We jockey around Cindy, trying to catch a glimpse of what she's seeing. And sure enough, a bright white crescent-shaped object floats in the blackness. Oh, Okay, it's gone. Did it leave? No, it'll come back. If it's... Wait, I can see it now. Okay, right here. Okay, I see what you're talking about. What do you think it is? Hmm. Is it? Or isn't it? I stare through the goggles, straining to see it more clearly. The shape, whatever it is, looks like it's bobbing up and down ever so slightly. It's hard to keep the night vision trained on it, but it's not really moving. It's staying in the same location. If it's not moving, it's got to be the fire. 
Yeah, it could be. The only way we'd find out is you walk towards it or have somebody. You gonna, you walking towards a gunner? Yeah. It'd be to your left, turn towards camp, walk straight. He's, gunner's way brighter than this thing. He's, he's not as close. I don't know what it is, but I don't think uh, it's not reacting. It's gotta be a tree. So here's something I learned. Decaying trees give off heat, so they show up on thermal imagers. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking it's a tree. Wow. Okay, sorry to... No. But it doesn't look like a head and like shoulders. No, it does when I... When I... Here, Megs, I saw it, but yeah. Megan sounds disappointed, and I'm there with her. I'm actually way more disappointed than I expected to be. Seeing any kind of animal would have been neat. But how cool would that have been if on the first night out we saw a Bigfoot? Real life and in the flesh, and if we got a photo somehow? Imagine the ticker tape parade and the induction into the hallowed halls of the Smithsonian. The interview I'd get with him. Mr. Foote, tell us how you've stayed hidden for so long. Oh, wait. Even if we did catch sight of something, would anyone even believe us? Would we even want to tell anyone? I put that question to producer Kelsey. Logically, you know that no one's going to believe you, but at the same time, if you saw something and really believed that you saw it, it would be hard to keep that in. I think it'd be the kind of thing I would tell somebody. Not to the public. I would right. not call in the media. But let's also be honest. We're doing this podcast right now, and people are going to be like, you know, mm -hmm. you're trying to get people to listen to your podcast, or you've got Sasquatch on the brain. Like, I mean, what are the odds? What would you do? I don't think I'd tell anyone. Like, I think it would be easier for me to just be like, nope, that was a bear, than it would be for me to accept. And yet here I am out here looking and half hoping to see one. So I say that, and then I probably would end up telling someone, but I think I would be very reluctant about it. There is something confessional about telling someone you've seen a Bigfoot. A lot of people have an experience and then sit on it for a while but it weighs so heavily on them that they eventually have to share it with someone. Back at the campsite, Cindy tells me about a moment she had with her doctor. She's like, aren't you and Megan, because Megan's also one of her patients, she's like, aren't you guys into Bigfoot? And I'm like, yeah. She's like, you know what? My husband told me not to tell anybody, but we were up in the Olympics, and I saw one. It walked across in front of them on the road, but she didn't want anybody to know, and she held on to that for like a year until she had the courage to tell me. And I think I was probably one of the first people she told. Stories like that or encounters like that are really what keeps me going. Cindy's been leading expeditions and looking for Bigfoot for years. She's thought about it her whole life, but she's never seen one herself. That's got to be a hard place to be, leading people into the wilderness to look for something that you're not even sure exists. I ask her if she ever loses faith or gets frustrated. Sometimes, yeah, it's like, why are we doing this? Although, I mean, there's been some moments where we've heard vocalizations that are like, uh, hmm. And uh, Shane and I saw something on FLIR we can't explain, like almost, what, a year and a half ago. So it's moments like that that keep me going. But there's a lot of people that just drop out. They're tired of looking and... You know, it's not a guaranteed payoff. Megan, her daughter, has also never had a sighting, but she's still optimistic. I have not lost any faith in Bigfoot. Like, it's hard when you grow up believing it's real to just 
decide that since you haven't seen it, that it's not real anymore. Kind of like with religion. And she's got something to say to the non-believers out there. So when I talk about Bigfoot and when I talk to people that don't believe in Bigfoot, I really just want them to just say it's possible. Like, I'm not out there to prove it to anybody, but I just want some open minds. And I go out and I look for them. Probably we'll never see one. It's unlikely, but I won't give up. <laughs> She's not alone in that opinion. And besides, not seeing one? Well, as Gunnar points out, that's par for the course. Real Bigfooting is pretty boring. I mean, if it's not like, you know, on TV where something happens there's something on the hill every time that you go out Bigfooting. Someone who sees Bigfoot every time they go into the woods? That might raise some mental health questions. Also, if you saw one every time you went out, it wouldn't be very special, would it? So the search continues. And if nothing else, it's a great excuse to get outside. Go camping with friends, tell stories around the fire, and have a good time. Which might be part of the appeal of looking in the first place. Of course, if Bigfoot is found, I bet it's going to be by the people who spend a ton of time in the woods. The same people who find signs, like those big ground nests on the Olympic Peninsula. No update on the DNA tests, by the way. These folks are extremely dedicated, like Shane. They spend their time and money and energy. It's often more than just a hobby. Right now I'm doing it full-time, and it's, it's, it's a full-time project for me. And it can be something of a risk to your career. He just yelled at us and pointed fingers at us and said he was not in the business of promoting mythological animals in this lab. And that if any of us ever had our names associated with the word Bigfoot, in the future he would see to it personally we'd be fired. And yet they do it in spite of what seems to be a taboo around Bigfoot. Very few scientists have been willing even to look at or listen to the information that is available. Mostly this is because they fear for their scientific reputations if it became known that they were interested in such things. Next week on Wild Thing, the price people pay for seeking Sasquatch. Want everyone to know that you're searching for Bigfoot? Show us your love. Leave us a rating wherever you get your podcasts. This really helps us get the word out about Wild Thing. Go to our website, wildthingpodcast.com. That's wildthingpodcast, all one word. We're also on the usual social media suspects. Find us at wildthingpod. And if you see Sasquatch in the wild, make sure to snap a photo, blurry or otherwise, and share it using the hashtag wildthingpod. This podcast is a production of Foxtopus, Inc., Wild Thing is created, reported, and produced by me, Laura Krantz, with help from Kelsey Ray. Alisa Barba is our editor. Scott Carney is our executive producer. Our music is composed by Ramtin Arablui and mixed by Sanaz Meshkampur. Mm-hmm.